0: It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Well, good morning. Great energy here this morning.
1: I love it. Hey, it's my first Sunday in this month preaching, so uh, we like to take the opportunity to celebrate some of what God is doing beyond our four walls, particularly in the digital space. One of the guiding, uh, I guess, um, declarations for us to make sure that we're reaching and building people beyond our four walls and even beyond the Perth metro area is something that God spoke through one of his spokespersons, a guy named Isaiah. Let's throw that up. And uh, this really is, um, it's stirring. It's, uh, have we never got that on the slide? All right, it's in the Bible somewhere. I'm gonna read it to you anyway. Is that really not there? Isaiah? Yeah. Yeah, nice one. All right, good, welcome back. Clear lots of grounds for your tents. Make your tents large, spread out, think big. Use plenty of rope, drive your tent pegs deep. You're gonna need lots of elbow room for your growing family. And two of the ways that we move towards this declaration is through our online experience, which we now run every Sunday, at 10 a.m., it's happening now, and 5 p.m., and that uh, is growing uh, in terms of number of people engaging weekly, which is very, very cool. Um, And secondly is our podcast. And uh, the great thing about podcasts is you can access them anywhere, you can take them anywhere, and um, you can be anywhere in the world and plugging in there as well. So uh, we like to celebrate some of the countries that joined us in the previous month. So is it, it's August now, right? So in July, and by the way, in the spirit of the Commonwealth Games, which uh, I believe Australia won. Anyway, um, some of the Commonwealth nations that uh, joined our podcast in July include India, Singapore, Nigeria, and New Zealand. And we like to claim their gold medals as Australian anyway. So how about we welcome them this week? Fantastic to have you with us. And you are joining us for King of Hearts week seven. Hello. Too much to recap in full, although I'll give you a little bit of a review, a flyover. But if you do want to catch up on any messages, go to your podcast app, type in Elevate Church Perth, and we'll automatically be there. But today I want to drop us into a slice. Of David's life. Now we've been looking at the life and leadership of David, who became the second king of Israel. Uh, Learning from that, um, I'm going to drop us into Second Samuel chapter 11. If you've got your uh, smartphone, you want to scan the whoops. There we go. Scan the flow code. It'll it will take you to Second chapter 11 in the New Living Translation. Of course, you can use a paper Bible. The words are the same. Um, Or you can sit there, and we're going to put it up on the screen anyway. No judgment. Here's a brief recap. So David as a, uh, in his late teens was kind of tapped uh, by God to become the next, the second king of Israel. However, and that's what sort of called, he was anointed for that. However, in that moment, he wasn't appointed. He had to wait to ultimately become the king. So here was the promise, but the actual delivery didn't come straight away. Sound familiar to anybody? And he learned to wait well in that time, which for him ended up being... 13-ish years of waiting to ultimately experience the promise. During that time, he killed Goliath. We all know about that one. Uh, He spent a decade on the run being hunted by the existing king. Hello. And in the decade that the existing king was hunting him down, David continued to honour the existing king, a guy named King Saul, which makes no sense, except when you realise that David he was he was willing to stay humble before god and not take matters into his own hands and trust that when god saw the time was right that god would make things happened for David to become the next king. Now, last week, Steve Hall talked about God, one of the first things David did when he became king is he went and grabbed a thing, it's a box called the Ark of the Covenant, which in that era, God lived, his presence was in that box and it was away from Jerusalem, which was the epicenter of Israel, still is, uh, and David had that box brought back into Jerusalem and restored the presence of God in the midst of the Israeli people and blessing flowed from that. So, fantastic. All of a sudden, and his, this was in stark contrast to the king that just popped his clogs, King Saul, over Saul's life and leadership, his momentum moved progressively away from God, whereas we have been exploring that David, over his life and leadership, his momentum moved towards God. And so we drop ourselves into a slice of history where Israel now once again had a king who put God first, had a king who God himself described as a man after his own heart. Having said that, David wasn't perfect. In fact, in the slice of history we're gonna drop in today, he made one bad decision, and this bad decision characterized his life and leadership for the remainder of his life and leadership. And he did this, thing whilst a king, and it was a scandal at the time, right? I would say that even in our increasingly permissive culture, this would probably still find its way into the category of scandal today. I'm pretty sure it would still make the news, maybe not the top of the news, maybe, but maybe not, but it'll be on there coming up after the ads. Let me tell you what King David just did. Um, Social media would be having a field day. Can you believe the king did that? No way, yeah. He would get canceled by some people at least. It would be a thing, right? Okay. So to pick up the timeline, the timeline is that it's spring. and And the reason that that matters is spring was... Traditionally, the season or the time of the year where a king and his armies would go off to war, go to conquer new territories, new people, and so on and so forth. And David had been in the habit of doing this, except this year. David decided to stay home. And and the reason that matters is David found himself somewhere that he wasn't meant to be, right? And it's kind of weird. This is David who killed Goliath when he wasn't even a soldier, but he proved himself to be a very capable warrior. And yet this year, whilst he sent the the, the, the troops to battle, he stayed home. Quite plausibly, if he had been where he was meant to be, doing what he was Meant to do, he may not have done what he ultimately did by virtue of the fact that he was where he wasn't meant to be. So here we go. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And I'm pretty sure that God in heaven was crying out, David, step away from the roof. But he didn't. God, David didn't step away from the roof. And David hadn't actually committed a sin by this stage, but it's important to know that upstream, this is how sin normally starts. That we start focusing on something that's less than God's best, and we don't avert our eyes. We don't turn away. We actually get lured in. People say, you fall into sin. fall into sin. Whoops! It's often we're lured over a period of time until ultimately what happens happened. And Again, if David had simply looked away, turned away, and went back inside the palace, he may not have done what he ultimately did. But the first domino toppled. Thankfully, God gave David another chance. So here's what happened next. David sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. And the wife... Of Uriah the Hittite, this message is like he could see, he could see what's what's potentially going to happen next, and he's like, David, she's married, and David's like, ah, I'm the king, do what I want, and he did. He had sexual relations with her. All right. Sometime later, David received this message from Bathsheba. "Uh, Guess what? Uh, I'm pregnant. And David's like, (laughs) LOL. And she's like, "Uh, no, this is not a drill. And he's like, "Oh, (laughs) okay. Thank you, Jared, for writing the internet. We're very grateful. (laughs) And for Al Gore for... Inventing it. Um, So David's at a hinge moment. He realizes he's messed up and he realizes there's now going to be visible evidence. And he has a choice. He can either own up or cover up. And David launched Operation Cover Up, phase one. He sent for Uriah. Now, Uriah was actually where David was meant to be. He was a soldier in the army and he was on the front lines. David sent for him to come back to the the city. And David's motivation for Uriah coming back to the city was that Uriah would go home, would sleep with Bathsheba, his wife, and then... Even Uriah as well as everyone else would assume that when the baby, you know, when the the bump shows and the baby comes out, that it was Uriah. There was no paternity DNA tests back then. It's like well, <sighs> operation cover up phase 1 didn't quite go to plan because Uriah when he came back as ordered by the king He refused to go home and sleep in his bed with Bathsheba because he said, in all good conscience, I can't do that. I can't sleep in comfort, creature comfort, while my brothers in arms are are out on the front lines and sleeping on the ground, risking their lives for our nation. So so Uriah just chose to sleep outside on the front steps of, of the palace. And David's like, well, all right. still has the opportunity to own up. But instead, he launches Operation Cover-Up Phase 2. He gave Uriah a sealed letter that Uriah was to take back to the front lines and give to the commander of the armies, who was doing David's job, by the way, named Joab. And the instructions were very, very clear to Joab that Joab was, was, was to send Uriah to the very, very, very front lines where the fighting was the fiercest. And that when things escalated, that Joab was to withdraw all of the other troops and leave Uriah there on his own, maximum vulnerability with the pretty much plausible likelihood that he was gonna be killed. And spoiler, that is exactly what happened. Now, King David is both an adulterer and a murderer. Bathsheba went into a period of mourning for her husband, as you expect. And at the end of the period of mourning, David... (laughs) launched Operation Cover-Up Phase 3. He brought Bathsheba into the palace and married her, thinking, I hope nobody can count to nine months. (laughs) And maybe, just maybe, they'll assume this happened while she was already my wife. The problem with Phase 3 is that God still knew And God wasn't happy with David. The cover up may have worked for the people, but it didn't work for the Almighty God. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet, who's like a spokesperson for God, to tell David this story. Listen to this this is bonkers. There were two men in a certain town, one was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. And he raised that little lamb and grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from its cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal for his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. But David was Furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And by the way, it takes sometimes a little bit of kahunis to speak truth to power. And Nathan demonstrated that in the very next moment. He said to David, You are that. guilty before God. Now, we keep banging on that David was described by God himself as a man after God's own heart. And this didn't look like someone (laughs) that you put up as the poster child. But the very next thing, reminds us once again that David was ultimately, his momentum was, his trajectory was ultimately a man after God's he goes heart because he said to Nathan, you know what? You're absolutely right. I am that man. I did that. I'm guilty. And Nathan then went on to explain to David two things. Number one, that God could and will forgive him And ultimately, restore him. So that's good news. And that there would be consequences in just the natural order of life to David's actions. And before I get into what they were, this is a vital point that we've been consistently double clicking on through this series. That, that while God forgives our sins, He doesn't always shot block us from the consequences of the things that we've thought, said, and done, okay? Now, let me come at this from a slightly different angle because we've got a lot of feedback already about how, how enlightening this is. Because one of the things that, that's happened over many decades of church churchianity is we've described sin simply simply as a concept of right versus wrong. Don't think that, it's wrong. Don't say that, it's wrong. Don't do that, it's wrong. Okay, I get it. I've, I've read it. I know God says those sorts of things are, are off limits, but then we do them anyway a lot of the time. And one of the things that I've found helpful is to zoom out and try to, understand why God would say those things are off limits. And the answer is almost always in the consequences. If you start to think those things, there will be consequences. So I've, I've, I've strongly recommended that, that you just keep them off limits for your own protection. Don't say those things, don't do those things. They will cause you to live at a much lower altitude than I ever want you to live at. They'll cause you to experience more pain than any loving father in heaven ever wanted for you to have. So it's not just right versus wrong, it's, it's best versus less than God's best. Well, in David's case, the prophet spoke on God's behalf and told him that his newborn son was going to die. <laughs> and David, as a you know, loving father would launched like the nuclear option and started fasting and pleading out to God to save his son. And despite that, and I don't have the full explanation for how this works, after seven days. The son did actually die. <clears throat> All right. And then, just when you thought things couldn't get any more bonkers, then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, and he went to the tabernacle and worshipped God. It's kind of confusing, right? Right? But here's the thing, David had realized and it took a prophet to speak on behalf of God to confront him and then for the consequences of his actions to be about as extreme as you could imagine, for David to realize I have hit the lowest point of my life and leadership to date. And finally, he took this hinge opportunity rather than stay in that place, the bottom, to actually reposition himself in a place where God could begin the restoration process. And by the way, if, if when you first read this, you're like, huh? His, his advisors were also pretty confused. I mean, they basically said to him, you know, he's up, he's 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 got some showers, he's put on some new threads, he's like, and he, and he's off to the temple, like this this whole new guy. And they said to him, for the last seven days you've been fasting and and praying, and 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 that was while your son was still alive. Now that he's dead, you're all like up and out of him. What's that all about? And David essentially said to them. I did what I could do in that season, that seven days. My son still died. There's nothing I can do to change that. But I'm not gonna get stuck in the quicksand of the guilt and the shame and the circumstances thinking that's gonna help anybody, because it isn't. And this is where a lot of people get stuck. There's no denial that David did what he did, but it comes with an acknowledgement that I can't change any of that, but I can change my position, I can change my posture, I can place myself somewhere where I can cry out to God, God, work on me, fix my heart, Whatever motivated me to do what I did, there's obviously something broken in me and, and it needs fixing. So I'm gonna go to the temple and I'm instead of praying the prayers I prayed for my son to live, I'm gonna start praying the prayers, God, fix me. Fix me from the inside out. And God did, and I'm gonna get into that to finish this this message today. But one of the things I hope that we can take from this is that there is no sin too big that God can't forgive and there's no place that's so low that you might find yourself in that God can't restore you from, right? Because I know people who have done some Stupid things, and they've just sort of like, I, I, don't think there's any coming back from this. And I say to them, No, not in your own strength there isn't, because you can't fix what's broken. But what you can do is you can put yourself in a position for God to initiate the restoration process. They sometimes crop the God out and crop themselves out, and it's, and it's like, no, if God can restore David, the key, then. He can restore you. And this is what it looked like. And, and I'm gonna give you kind of an overly simplistic version, but th- this, is, this was David's journey of restoration and it actually holds up today for any one of us that do or <laughs> because of something in the future may need to be restored. And it started with David accepting responsibility. Now, over the last 18 months, some of you know this, I've been uh, tinkering with some renovation projects around our house. Now, I don't have a background in that. I'm like an old pop culture reference. I'm about as handy as Tim the Toolman Taylor, not the guy over the fence. And what this kind of thing has looked like is that I'm pretty much nicked up somewhere 24-7. I've got cuts and scrapes. And look, honestly, most of that is just from sheer... uh, not even recklessness, uh, incompetence. I think that's actually the the the, the accurate uh, assessment of why I'm always got bleed. In. Okay. Now I know we have some medical professionals in here, so this please this what I'm about to tell you is not intended as medical advice. Okay. Do we get that? Good. Um, the product that I've found to be the most effective. For uh, slathering on my nicks, sometimes I just think I just fill the bathtub up with this stuff and soak myself for a few days and see what happens. Is eucalyptus oil, Aussie 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 Bazisto's eucalyptus oil, and I put that stuff on like it's free. And uh, I'm telling you, it's like within two days, nicks and cuts gone. I'm ready for the next project. I'm ready for the next round of wounds. Bring them on. It, it's brilliant. It's like miracle stuff. They can't even write that on the label like, this stuff is the best stuff you'll ever use. Screw you, better Dean. They can't say that, all right? But I think they should. Uh, it's been my experience. Um, but, he, look, and so it's, but here's the thing. This is what you need to know in case you think, oh, I might try that. Uh, when you apply it to an open cut or wound, um, it stings. Uh, like a lot, Okay to the point where when I apply it, I involuntarily think to myself, why in the world am I doing this? This feels like the dumbest thing I could be doing this moment. But two days later, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking, man, that was worth it. And the reason I share that story is this will sometimes sting a little. And by the way, we live in a culture that likes to deflect blame. My fault. I mean, I did it, but it wasn't my fault. I mean, you know, we used to say the devil made me do it. People are like, he's not real. Oh, okay, gotta find a new God, person to blame. Uh, um, 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 um. It's like, we, the beginning of the restoration process for David was to say to the prophet, Yep, yeah, God, you got me. I did it. And David chronicled his restoration process in a psalm. Now, David wrote sort of half of the psalms. The psalms are in the old part of the Bible. They're considered the songbook of Israel, even to this day. He wrote about half of them. They were sort of prayers, songs, this whole kind of vibe going on. Psalm 51, David chronicled his restoration process. And so when he started writing Psalm 51 before God about accepting responsibility, this is what he said. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night against you and you alone have i sinned i've done what's evil in your sight you'll you'll be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just you know he wasn't trying to cover up anymore one of the things i've learned about renovation is before you can fix it you have to accurately identify what's broken what needs fixing and to say, yes, yes, it does. Then I mentioned this about the quicksand earlier, we need to, and David did this, let go of guilt. And this is where a lot of people get stuck because you're guilty. If you did it, you're guilty, like that's the point. (laughs) And, And when you accept responsibility, you're acknowledging that you're guilty. So it's like you knew you were guilty, now you're telling someone else, yep, I'm guilty. Operation cover up is over. I've moved into operation own up and I feel terrible. Okay, good. It means you're not a sociopath. But but the but the mistake is 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 having the narrative going on something to the effect of I did bad, therefore I am bad. And allowing what you did to define you and your future. And it doesn't have to be that way. We can say in this moment, God, I am guilty. Something's broken. Can you please do some open heart surgery? So David continued in Psalm 51, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. This is not self-help. This is God help. Wash me, And I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me now. Let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me. This is a prayer for somebody. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And then David demonstrated this. Get back on track. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I'd offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit, and you will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. This this last last line, repentant heart, it's kind of a churchy word. And, and, and by the way, like maybe your grandma will tell you stories of someone up here shouting their f- fist at you. You know, repent, repent. You know, fire and brimstone kind of stuff. Um, it's a churchy word. So that. But I'm not going to go fire and brimstone. I'm not sure this table would hold up if I did. Um, they don't make them like they used to. Uh, the the word, let me just say this, the word repent lit- literally means turn around. Literally means turn around. Lit- so so David's. Trajectory, his focus was on Bathsheba and he moved to where his eyes were leading him. His heart went in that direction and yet thankfully, God, who's the God of second chances, got his attention and David, thankfully, responded by turning 180 degrees. That's repenting. And final. Point on this. I'm all for like praying prayers and asking God to forgive, and that matter like matters, like matters, 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 matters. But they will work better if they're accompanied by repentance, prayer, and repentance. God, I I'm guilty. I'm sorry and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to get back to following you. I'm going to get back to noticing you. I'm going to get back to... so. Now, that doesn't mean be sally cynical when somebody confesses to you and you go, yeah, well, prove it with your actions, mate. Like, I mean, that would also be a good idea. Um, But really... That's the idea, that repentance is about a 180-degree shift of everything. Our priorities, what we focus on, who we focus on, who we follow. And it's in that process that God restored David. And it's in that process that God can restore
0: us. We really hope you got a lot out of this message.